0: We hope you enjoy the show, as together we hear how they are making their world better. But well, when you purchase products from various companies, I wonder how many of you research what your favorite company's stance may be on various societal issues. Well, according to recent data, many of you do worry about and consider what a corporation's stance is on various issues— According to an Edelman report, they found that 64% of all consumers consider themselves belief-driven buyers in 2019. And if you're a millennial, you really care about what a corporation stands for. The Brookings Institute reported that 90% of millennials are more likely to choose products based on the brand's stance on societal issues. Well, my guest today is Chris Marquis. He's a professor at Cornell University. He is the author of a new book entitled Better Business, How the B Corp Movement is Remaking Capitalism. He argues that with the rise of B Corps, there's an emerging triple bottom line for corporations now. It's people, planet, and profits. So listen in today as Chris talks about the background of this growing movement and how it's impacting both the nonprofit and the for-profit sector. Enjoy today's show. Well, Chris, thanks for being on the show today. You know, I'm excited for my listeners on this topic uh, because this is a topic that's rarely talked about in nonprofit circles. And you've written a book that talks all about B Corps and how they're remaking capitalism. And they're also creating this new triple bottom line, people, planet, and profits. So perhaps you can just start out by giving my audience a quick overview of what is a B Corp and how are they different and similar to a nonprofit organization?
1: Sure. So, and thanks so, so much for having me, Rob. Really appreciate it. I'm looking forward to, to speaking about this. Uh, so, a B Corp is a company whose social and environmental performance has been certified by the, the nonprofit called B Lab. So, I'm sure your listeners probably know of many existing certifications like Fairtrade or Organic or Z uh, that are on certain types of products. And the B Corp certification is the only one, at least I know of, that holistically assesses the company's operations. Uh, so, to become a B Corp, you know, there's a threshold. A company has to attain over 80 points uh, in a demanding audit of the company's, you know, operations and a variety of sort of social, environmental, and government factors. So many B Corps are, like, for instance, a, a number of units of Danone are or sort of what you would think of as a regular company, uh, and they, you know, believe in triple bottom line and want to be managed as effectively and as social, socially responsible as possible to so become a B Corp. Another set, uh, and this might be the set that's more interesting to your listeners, you know, are entrepreneurs that they have a social mission uh and they think that actually for a business is the best way to achieve that social mission, but they want to actually have you know some sort of assessment and protection and legitimacy that you know they're not just, you know, some sort of rapacious capitalist or, or something. And so so many entrepreneurs that I've spoken to in the research you know they, you know, thought about potentially becoming a nonprofit, uh, but felt that at least for in the area that they were interested in having impact, that a um, that a B Corp uh, company would be better. So, so one example is, you know, there's a company uh, B Corp in in Boston uh, where I used to live called She Geeks Out, and it's a, it's it's an organization that that's trying to get larger penetration of sort of tech. Them with women, and you know they hold events, they do workshops, and they originally started out trying to become a nonprofit to, to fulfill that mission. And they actually had trouble becoming a nonprofit because of, I guess, the revenue generating model. I'm not sure of the the different regulations but they actually, you know, ended up being. I think rejected by the whoever decides if you to be a nonprofit. Although it's not the IRS, because some registration that they didn't fit the qualification. So then they said, okay, well, we can do this as a business, and then we'll become a B Corp. Another example, uh, and this is a company that transitioned from a nonprofit to a, a B Corp, is a company called Practice Makes Perfect. Uh, this is one I like a lot because the the founder, uh, his name's Kareem, he has, he has a long last name because of an A. I, I don't know how to pronounce it. But he, he's a Cornell grad, so that's why I'm... I'm um, Particularly like his, his, his organization. But it's, it's, a, it's a company that, you know, aims to help schools, you know, and students ultimately through, you know, different types of after school programs, other sort of enhanced learning, uh, to really help particularly lower income students, you know, do better at school, to have more academic achievement. Uh, and he started out as a nonprofit. And and when I've gone back and forth with him, um, learned that you know it was tough because he would have to always be, you know, looking for grants, uh, and it was really you know sort of a lot of his time was not actually spent on the student needs; uh, it was spent on like the the, the financing needs. And so, ended up transi- transitioning to a corporation and a B Corp because you know he can actually charge for those educational services, uh, and for his business, it just made more sense to become a. Um, uh to become a business for the B Corp as opposed to a nonprofit. So, you know, it's interesting. I think that it depends on sort of what the pro- what sort of the mission, what sort of the services the entrepreneur organization wants to do. But I think this B Corp is a new way that that people who, who want to have a positive impact on society can in a way that maybe uh works better for their organization.
0: Well, thanks for that. You know, there is no doubt that there's been a significant move towards organizations and businesses who are focused on making our world better. In fact, as I said on the outset of this show, the Brookings Institute reported that 90% of millennials are more likely to choose products based on the brand's stance on various societal issues. Additionally, Edelman reports that 64% of all consumers consider themselves belief driven buyers in 2019. That's up from 51% the year prior. What has led to this shift, in your opinion, when it comes to people's perspectives and priorities when it comes? Of shopping and you know supporting various corporations,
1: I think part of it is you know exactly what what you were saying that I think that there's a groundswell of interest among the younger generations to you know sort of that, that companies have purpose. Uh, I think that that people want to give back. Uh, this alongside the trend of you know sort of entrepreneurship and and people being able to sort of um, you know work work in in ways that. Are both creative and meet their uh, meet their sort of uh, sort of psychological and and social interests as well. Uh, and so, you know, as I was teaching on this over over a decade now, you know, students have really taken to uh, this idea of creating businesses uh, with with a social mission. And so, I think you know, big reason is is the millennials as millennials, Gen Z as entrepreneurs, you know, see this as a real exciting way to to get back in, in some way, but also create a viable business that, that is more sustainable in the ways that it can uh, deliver value to the ultimate beneficiaries.
0: Well, there's no doubt with this current cultural moment we're in right now, regarding the emphasis on social justice, racial equality, and the many protests that have broken out you know, across our country, how does this impact people's support for B Corps, in your opinion?
1: Yeah, that's, that's, a, that's a good question. I think that broadly speaking, people are questioning like, the underlying principles of capitalism more rigorously and I think this you know has to do with the like, issues with covid pandemic issues with sort of the highlights uh, on, on systemic uh, racism following the George floyd incident uh, and I do you know a number of B corps have been sort of on the forefront of trying to find sort of business and policy solutions uh, to that so, for instance, you know, ben & Jerry's has always been very outspoken in its uh, support of various social issues and has gotten a lot of coverage because of uh, public statements on, on uh, you know, white supremacy and trying to overcome um, racism. And it, there's been a number of work, uh, you know, within the B Corp community to try to, you know, sort of understand, you know, we've been focused on, you know, issues of diversity and equity and inclusion for long time. You know, how can we take those learnings and sort of package them and, and and showcase them in a way that other businesses can see how they can, you know, become much more inclusive and diverse too. So I think that it's it's a good moment for for the B Corp community because many of the things that that they've been doing um, in, in many of these areas are actually very much the the highlight of the public conversation now.
0: Hey everybody, Rob here. Thanks so much for listening to the Nonprofit Leadership Show. If this is your first time listening to us, I wanted to make sure you were aware of a whole group of other interviews with fascinating guests that I've previously interviewed. Just go to our website, NonprofitLeadershipPodcast.org, and there you'll find numerous interviews of nonprofit leaders from all over the country, even from different countries, all trying to make their world better. I think you'll really enjoy those interviews. We wanna give you more content, and we'd like to get that information to you. And all you have to do is give us your email. When you go to that website, you can put your email address in that first box you'll see on the front page, and you'll be added to our monthly email update. In addition to some great content, you will see the latest uh, podcast shows that will be actually sent right to your inbox, and that way you'll never miss any of the great content on this show. The other thing I'll mention to you is if you have questions or comments or you'd like to be on the show, do not hesitate to email me. I'd love to hear from you. Just do that through our website, my email, rob at ccofpc.org. Well, thanks again for listening. Now back to the show. Well, in your new book, you talk about the B-Lab, and this is kind of the, the beginning point, or this is where B-Corporations are emerging from. Give us a little bit more of the background of the B-Lab.
1: So the B-Lab is the non and it's a nonprofit uh, itself, is the organization that certifies B-Corps. So, you know, and I mentioned at the outset that there's this uh, assessment that, that, that B-Corps have to go through, and B-Lab is the organization that does that. There's actually a independent standards committee that creates the standards. So B Lab, they separated the standards component from the original organization because there's a concept of interest potential, you know, when companies are actually paying certification fees that, you know, if this company's creating the standards, you know, knowing this organization for 10 years now, there would never be any problem, but just for, for appearance's sake, and viability going forward that makes a lot of sense. So there's a independent standards board that creates the standards. They're updated every three years. Uh, and then B-Lab is the one that uh, certifies the, the actual companies. An additional element, and you mentioned at the outset, benefit corporation as being synonymous with b Corp. Actually, there is a difference. So whereas the B-Corp is a certification certification, uh, which is, can be given to businesses depending on whether they are able to pass the assessment or not. Uh, the, a benefit corporation is actually a legal corporate form. Uh, so like a C corporation or LLC, you know, limited partnership, you know, a, a benefit corporation is, and it's a new type of, of corporate form actually, and it was actually started by the B-Lab people, uh, because in the U.S., uh, in other countries as well, you know, actually, the way corporate law is structured is companies you know must have a fiduciary duty such that that you know the shareholders and the investors in the company are are the primary stakeholder and you know if at the core of the company the legal foundation has this sort of inequity between the different stakeholders then you and you try to implement something like what b lab is doing you know it it's sort of there's a it's broken from the start in some way so they actually uh, starting I think in about 2006 or 2007, started, uh, working in states throughout the U.S. because corporate law is at the state level, uh, to get these new benefit corporation legislation passed so that companies could choose to be a company that is, has a purpose, uh, for all, you know, for all stakeholders, you know, the employees and customers, uh, not just the, the shareholders. And this has been passed in 36 U.S. states. Uh, plus Washington, D.C. and Puerto Rico. Uh, also, you know, it's interesting. That the key, in some ways, the big kahuna is Delaware. That's where, you know, the sort of center of U.S. corporate law is. And then when Delaware passed it, a number of uh, international locations said, oh, this is an interesting innovation. We're going to actually adopt this as well. So Italy now has benefit corporations, Colombia, Ecuador, and the Canadian province of British Columbia. So this is another way... Uh, that companies can, you know, orient their operating principles in some ways, and you know, uh, as a benefit corporation, to be um, focused on many different uh, stakeholders.
0: Well, it's been so interesting to learn about this. Now, give us a few examples of what you consider to be well-known and well-run B Corps.
1: Sure. So, uh, so there, there are actually, you know, a lot of B Corps that are really very, very well-known to, to, to people. So, I'll tell you about them in some different uh, sort of well-done clubs. So you know, if you want to think about sort of the really famous socially and environmentally responsible companies, you know, companies like Patagonia, Ben & Jerry's, Seventh Generation, um, uh, those are some real good examples. You know, there's also, you know, a number of really innovative startup-type companies, so Kickstarter, uh, Allbirds, Bombas, uh, Hootsuite is in, are other examples. You know, even, you know, sort of traditional companies that actually have a deep social mission like King Arthur Flower, you know, people are baking a lot because of the pandemic and, and, you know, going on King Arthur Flour's website, I, I know. And King Arthur Flower is a really interesting company. They're actually employee owned. So, you know, if you're an employee of King Arthur Flour, you, uh, actually are owner of the company. Very, very, uh, you know, which is a great way to actually give back, uh, to the, to the broader set of stakeholders. Uh, also a number of subsidiaries of larger companies are. So, Athleta, the yoga brand, which is a, a subsidiary of Gap. Uh, I mentioned Danone. So Danone, has, Danone the, the global company, is $30 billion based out of Paris. And they have made a commitment at, for the global entity to become a B Corp by 2025. But they currently have 20 subsidiaries, the largest of which is Danone North America, which is a $6 billion company. Just one final example. I know I'm sort of <laughs> uh, listing a lot of different things. That I find really interesting is Natura, which is a uh, Brazilian company. And I should note, you know, most of the examples I've given are American because I assume many of your listeners are uh, American. But, but actually, over half of the B Corps are outside of uh, of America, despite the fact that it's, it, you know, it's founded in the U.S. So Natura is a cosmetics brand. A few years ago, it was a $3 billion cosmetics brand, publicly traded on the San Paolo uh, Exchange. Sort of a couple of ways that they see themselves getting back. The so first is obviously you know cosmetic using natural environmentally friendly ingredients. But where they really saw themselves as having an important change uh, change theory and, and change uh, change value to the world is is through their sales model. So they actually sort of like uh, Avon, they sell through a distribution channel where where they actually have two million women throughout Brazil that they you know train. I think provide some loans, a short-term loans so people can get, you know, their product and help these, these women actually establish a livelihood, um, uh, for themselves and been very successful in that. Now sort of interesting because they actually purchased the Body Shop, which is, you know, another sort of well-known, uh, socially responsible, uh, cosmetics, uh, brand. Uh, but then also just in the last year, they, they purchased Avon, uh, in the U.S. And they're right now in the process, I think the purchase has gone through, but actually integrating that into a larger B Corp structure. And I think, you know, they see this as a way to have their social impact grow even further, uh, because of the model that Avon has similar, similar to theirs. So, that's a, that's a bunch of examples, and I'm sure that yeah, many companies that your listeners know about.
0: Oh, this is really helpful. Um, now, I had no idea that so many B Corps were outside of the U.S. Um, are B Corps growing faster outside of the U.S., or is the United States still kind of the hotbed of B Corps?
1: No, so I think it's growing faster. B Lab started, I think, in 2006, so it's now you know, close to 15 years. I would say the first half of that period, it was growing mostly in the U.S. But in the last you know, half of that period, much faster outside the U.S., uh, like I said, you know, over ha- over half of B Corps nowadays are outside the U.S. You know, hot spots are, you know, as you'd expect, you know, Western Europe, the U.K., lots of B Corps in those locations, but also Latin America. Uh, Latin America actually, what is you know, was sort of the pioneer of of B Corps outside the U.S. Some entrepreneurs in Latin America learned about the B Corp movement and convinced the founders of B Lab. To actually bring the model to South America. Uh, and they do it in a very uh, localized way. So there's these local affiliates that are able to customize and localize, you know, the, the assessment and the various uh, work and ways it fits. So it's not a, you know, one size America fit all. It's actually very tailored, uh, the, you know, uh, to geography and also industry. Industry is another sort of very important uh, dimension because all companies uh, are different. And then Australia is another place where, the B Corp movement has really grown very quickly.
0: Now, as you probably know, this show is dedicated to the nonprofit sector, and most of my listening audience is either working as a staff member uh, at a nonprofit or serves on the board uh, at a nonprofit or volunteers at a nonprofit. So in light of that, what's the future of the B Corp movement, and, and what's the long-term impact on the nonprofit sector of this growing popularity of B Corps?
1: Yeah, that's an interesting question. So I spent about a year and a half uh, teaching social entrepreneurship at the Harvard Kennedy School which, you know, as you know, is the Harvard Kennedy School of Government. And they had a new dean sort of sim- right around when I spent my time there. And, you know, he, he was a big supporter of the social entrepreneurship uh, work that I and, and other people were doing. Uh, and what he said was that Kennedy School started as a school of government. Actually, it turns out that that became a big sort of center of training for NGO leaders as well. And he sees the frontier really being, you know, this sort of business-oriented uh, or, or businesses giving social value. And what, you know, and sort of the basic summary of it was the mission of the Kennedy School is to sort of make a positive difference in the world through sort of social impact and, 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 and policy, uh, in many cases. And how to actually enact social value has changed over time. You know, a long time ago it was mainly just governments that were doing it. So a lot of, you know, for a long time it was just governments and nonprofits. And I think that nowadays there's also businesses that, that are doing. And I think that, you know, there's many things that are obviously not appropriate for businesses to do, but some things are very appropriate. So for instance, this practice makes perfect. You know, you can see how actually there, you know, that, that could be run through, you know, creating these educational offerings for schools could be run very effectively, uh, as a business. You know, speaking of the international scope, you know, uh, actually last night, interestingly, I interviewed a really interesting leader named Thomas Meh from, he lives in Melbourne, and, and he runs a company called Ganash And they hire, uh, physically disabled. So people with disabilities, uh, is a, their entire workforce, you know, doing a variety of things from, uh, you know, sort of creating databases to, uh, you know, IT support, uh et cetera, And so he is it's a social enterprise and the idea is, you know, particularly in Southeast Asia where he's 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 located in, in Australia, but actually, you know, most of the work is in you know the Philippines and Malaysia uh and you know a lot of stigmatization around people with physical disabilities there and he's like, well this is something, you know, he wants to help these these populations and you know one way to really do that very effectively is to you know, create businesses where they can employ people with disabilities. It's actually a helping hand for, for, for those folks to, to, to get a career, to, to, uh, to advance in the workplace. Uh, you can imagine, you know, other change solutions might be to maybe get government funding for, like, various programs to help them, but, you know, a good, great change strategy is to actually, you know, create companies that can sort of find jobs uh, for them and it's been, you know, very effective and a huge impact on, on those societies.
0: Well, Chris, this has been a fascinating conversation. Again, your new book is titled Better Business, How the B Corp Movement is Remaking Capitalism. It's coming out in September. And if people want to find out more about your book or you, where would you send them?
1: Sure. So I think a couple of places. Uh, so for, for me in the book, uh, I have a website, chrismarkless.com. So sort of my name, no spaces or, or periods or anything. Uh, and you know there's information about the book, uh, uh, and I would also think that it would be great. You know the, the B Corporation dot net is the B Corporation uh, website, and I think you know it's, it would be great to you know have your listeners take a look at that as well. You I think that stepping away from from you know we've been talking a lot about sort of the leaders of the organization, the entrepreneurs, but you know all of us as consumers, you know the choices we make can Helped social businesses. So I think, you know, equate, you know, having your, your, your listeners acquaint themselves with e-corporation, you know, so, so, you know, put our, put our dollars where our values are. I think it's a, a big way that each of us individually can, can make an impact in the world.
0: Well, Chris, thanks again for being on the show today. Best of luck with your book release. And I encourage my listeners to check out this book. You know, I think particularly because we're living in a moment right now where more and more people are focused on the triple bottom line of business, right? People, planet, and profits. And I'm really curious to see how the nonprofit sector will interact with and hopefully collaborate with this growing movement of B Corps. Thanks again, Chris, for your time. You can also go online to listen to this podcast, either nonprofitleadershippodcast.org or my website, robharder.com. Thanks again for listening. And until next time, keep making your world better.